Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by my colleague, Stefan Chin. I've been upgraded to a colleague. From a friend, (laughs) yeah. From a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Stefan, what is your tagline? And my axe. That was a little too high-pitched, but we'll go with it. <laughs> Sam Schultz is also here joining us. What's your tagline? I don't know. Um, what's on my desk? Uh, three batteries. Sari <laughs> Riley is here as well. What's your tagline? Purple gumdrops. My name is Hank Green, and my tagline is relentless. Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding Sam bucks from week to week. Right now, Sam and I are losing together. Mm -hmm. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by previous conversations, we won't be great at that. So if the rest of the team deems your tangent unworthy, we will force you to give up one of your Sam bucks. So tangent with care. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week from me. White hole, black hole, punch hole, plot hole, wormhole, porthole, manhole, foxhole. Those are all things, and that's no big deal, but they're all named for something that is far less real. A bee without a sting, we call that stingless. But what do we call a thing that's thingless? Defined, I guess, 
by its emptiness. Maybe they are novels by Lewis Sacker, maybe dug out by a John Deere tractor, surrounded on every side but above, or maybe they're fronted by Courtney Love. Today I don't envy Sari her role, because how, oh how, do you define a whole? Sari, what's a whole? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a hollow place. In <laughs> something that is otherwise solid, I think we can agree on that. What about a what about a uh, whirlpool? Would that be a hole in a oh. liquid? Oh, no. <sighs> I think it's a hole. It you seems think like a, a hole is a hole. Seems like a hole if it's a hollow, and you can go yeah. down it. Well, okay, solid or liquid, but can holes be in gases? Yeah, you could probably make a hole in a gas. Is a tornado a hole oh. in the middle? I don't know. Or a hurricane. There's a hole in the middle of one of those. Is uh, is space a hole or are we a hole of stuff in the nothingness of space? I was wondering that same thing in the shower this morning. Well, <laughs> so a black hole is more stuff than the surrounding. That's true. Right? That's weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's the thing. A black hole isn't actually a hole. Oh, my God. I don't know if what actually a hole means. Scientists decided to call it a hole, so it's you can a hole. fall into a black hole. So I think it's a hole. I think it's anything you can, I can fall, fall into. into. Lots of things that aren't holes. Like what? Like a cavern? Mm. Is a cavern a hole? It's too yes. big. Yeah, a, a, a canyon. A, hole. a canyon. Like, a canyon's yeah, like, a is, hole. Is a Grand a Canyon, canyon is, a hole? The Grand Canyon is not a. Yes, it's a <laughs> huge freaking hole. I think I that think, might. I think it might be a really big hole. I think you guys are <laughs> <Yeah>. just. <laughs> I think you guys are just scared because I so easily define what a hole is. Is, is the entire fall down. ocean a hole? Yeah, uh, it okay. is. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's lower than the ocean besides more ocean below it. But you can't fall in someone's ear. If I was small enough, I could easily. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the ear is a hole. <laughs> if you're small enough, you could fall into all kinds of things that aren't holes. Yeah, well, holes are relative to your size also. <laughs> sometimes you fall into a hole. Sometimes you fall through a hole. Is it a hole if it has one opening and two? I thought about this when I was writing my poem. It has to have at least one opening. Or does it? Can it just be a vacant space inside of something? Oh, my like gosh. If I close my mouth, is that a hole? It's a cavity. Ooh, yeah. It's a cavity, yeah. <laughs> and then I open it, then it's a hole. Oh. Well, I think we've got it. I looked up the etymology of hole, and uh, I, was, I was somewhat surprised. It is one of those words that goes back to a, a proto-Indo-European root that is really common. It comes from, weirdly enough, like a covered area, and it is the same root as house. In that sense, hole and cavity sound like they're the same thing. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, in the if it's sort of like we use etymology in the same way we use taxonomy, where like you are whatever you are related to, then hole is everything. <laughs> to cover or conceal or save. And it's got like ceiling is the same root and helmet and what? like a hall. A hollow, a holster, oh, a the hull of a nut, uh, all all from the same stuff. But also the huh. the word apocalypse comes from the same root. No, uh, and so does kleptomania. What? Well, it's 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 an old word. It's gone through a lot of changes yeah, and a lot okay. of people feeling different ways about how we should pronounce Putting things. Putting their own spin on things. Yeah, I'm really glad we've had so many more words invented since then it would be so confusing if i had to walk around being like well i'm in my hole and you're in your hole and <laughs> yeah. i'm headed to the hole right now yeah. uh, but i have to go in my hole first <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for 
One of our panelists has brought three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real. The rest of us have to try and figure out, either by deduction or wild guess, which is the true fact. If we do, we get a sandbuck. If not, the presenter gets the sandbuck. This week, that is Stefan. Stefan Jen, what are your three facts? I've titled this truth or fail, Three Old Holes. Fact number one. In Peru, there are stretches of road covered in shallow holes along part of what used to be the Incan Highway. Mm. These sections of road are steep enough that they would have been hard to traverse unassisted, so they think that these so-called bands of holes were used in conjunction with an ancient version of studded wheels to help carts gain enough traction to travel on these roads. Mm. And they were also big enough to provide footholds for people who were traveling on foot. Number two. Archaeologists found a full can of skin cream hidden in the drain of an ancient Roman temple. It dates back to the 2nd century CE, and the cream has antimicrobial properties. It contains a substance whose molecules act like molecular drills, killing microbes by boring holes through their cell walls. Mm. Researchers are now looking into using these to develop treatments that work against antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And then number three, researchers found a network of 200 million termite mounds in Brazil. The mounds are regularly spaced apart and connected to each other through a vast network of underground tunnels. The whole array covers an area the size of Great Britain, and samples revealed that some of the mounds are close to 4,000 years old. And the amount of soil used to build the mounds is equivalent to several thousand pyramids of Giza and represents one of the largest insect structures ever built. Wow. And they're all connected to each other? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got our three old holes. You've got roads covered in bands of holes that were maybe combined with ancient studded tires that allowed Incans to transport goods up steep roads. Or you've got a Roman skin cream that was found in a hole, in an old hole, and it has molecular (laughs) drills that kill some bacteria. Or number three, a giant array of 200 million termite mounds. Is that right? 200 Mm -hmm. million termite mounds? Oh my goodness. In Brazil, connected through underground tunnels, collectively one of the largest insect structures we know of and over 4,000 years old. I feel like, and this has gotten me into trouble before, I would have heard of the termites. That seems like something I would know. I know. It's weird. It's giant. It's very big. Maybe you heard of it and forgot it. Do you forget things ever? Oh, very often. Okay. But I usually have some faint tickle of a memory. <laughs> right, so. right. It's not like I could call it back, but if, if somebody said there is a termite mound network the size of Great Britain, I'd be like, I think there's, that's in there. That's in there. Yeah. <laughs> so where did they find this, this hand cream? Was it hand cream? Face cream? It was a skin cream. Just all skin. Skin cream. Any skin you can think of. Whichever skin. And it's uh, it's good because we do need hand sanitizer these days. They found it in the, in a drain in an ancient Roman temple. So is oh. it like someone's secret stash of it? I think or so, were they like yeah. washing they were like it h- out? Hiding then, it away. Oh. How long have we been using skin cream for? Do we know that? Oh, I imagine I... since we discovered plants. Pretty much. Yeah, we slathering things yeah. on our skin. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. It's so dry sometimes in of the year. I like, I will be so itchy that I will think people lived before now. Like, what did they do with their skin? Were they just always in pain? But they're just oiled up all the time, right? I guess, yeah. You just rub yourself with some uh, tallow. Roads covered in bands of holes. This seems like totally something the Incans would have done and would mm-hmm. have needed to do because all of their cities were... Like, they're, this, like the famous city 
what is it called? Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu is is that the, they built this beautiful big city at the top of a mountain, which mm-hmm. is like the worst, hardest place to build a big, beautiful city. So they yeah. would have needed some way to get rocks up to the top of this thing. Sari and I are quietly thinking that one of them sounds like a load, I think. Mm-hmm. Ooh. What the heck? Okay. <laughs> I feel good about the giant array of 200 million termite mounts the size of Great Britain. I think probably maybe I I have heard about it and I forgot about it, but like it totally seems like it might be a thing. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with the wheels and the the little nubby wheels because why not? I think I'm also going to go with nubby wheels. I'd love to hear more about these nubby wheels. If, if If I'm wrong, at least I'll get to know more about the nubby wheels. Uh, so Hank was correct. So these are visible on Google Earth. It's this gigantic area covered in these evenly spaced termite mounds. Until recently, they were covered by the forests in that area, and but they have, and I'm sure like the locals knew about them, but I guess they recently cleared some of the land for like pasturing. And so now uh, outsiders were like, hey, what's going on over here? I didn't really know how termites work, but I guess they, the mounds are like, it's all the dirt that they're excavating mm-hmm. to make their tunnels. They estimate about 200 million mounds total, which the total amount of dirt to form all of those, because they're like meters tall, the total amount of dirt to make all of those would be about 4,000 pyramids of Giza. Wow. Good boys <laughs> or girls. I'm not sure. Good work. <laughs> That's a lot of effort. Yeah. And and of course, now we can see these termite mounds because they've cleared the wood away. But I have some bad news, re-termites uh. and wood, which is yeah. that they kind of might need that. The road holes. Mm-hmm. The Apparently, the Incans did not have wheeled tra- vehicles at all. So these holes were on the ground, but they were next to the road, and it was like a mile-long strip of these holes, and it doesn't seem like they just dug holes. They were, like, constructed from material that they brought in from elsewhere. But nearby was a storage house called a Kolka, and they knew that in the Incan Empire they had these Kolka buildings spread out along the road or the highways and they would collect Mm -hmm. like supply like food and textiles and whatever as sort of a tax from people who lived nearby and then as the armies were like passing by or or whatever they could grab food from this or if there was like a famine then they could redistribute some of the food to the the people who were in need and so they thought that the, they think that these holes were just used to like measure the amount of food that you were like giving as your tax so you had to like fill this hole with apples and then you're good to go or whatever. We can bring that system back yeah. to exchange goods and services outside of our houses. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Fill like... this hole with toilet paper. Fill this one with hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll trade Clorox you one wipes. hole of canned mandarin oranges. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a valuable hole. And then the skin cream was a combination of two things. So this that we did find an ancient Roman skin cream tucked away in a drain somewhere. But it wasn't antimicrobial or anything, but they like reverse engineered the recipe so they could make a fresh batch and like try it out. And the researcher said, this cream had a pleasant texture when rubbed into the skin. Although it was greasy (laughs) at first, it was quickly overtaken by the smooth powdery texture. That sounds nice. They had a good skin cream, it sounds like. The drill thing is a more modern invention. 
I guess we have artificial molecular drills. I don't really know how it works, but like if you activate <laughs> them with light, parts of the molecule start spinning at three million times a second, and they can what the heck? they can bore <laughs> holes through cells and kill them. Ugh. In this paper, they were only like they like put these into worms and plankton, and they killed the organism. It wasn't like fighting bacteria, it just like killed the worm, killed the plankton, and they put it on mice as a cream and it just gave the mice skin lesions. So like, oh my like God. so far they've just demonstrated that like these are drilling into cells and killing them. <laughs> so yeah. this is bad. We've, we've made a bad thing. <laughs> well, they seem confident that you can like attach peptides or whatever to the molecules and have it target specific things. But it does. I don't think they're at that point yet. <laughs> what was the one you thought was a load? Uh, that hand. one, the the hand cream. Uh, yes, okay. I also thought that one was too many okay. things packed into one. Ooh. Okay. The hand cream seemed totally likely. What didn't seem likely was that it was antimicrobial. And if it was, that it would be potentially useful for drug-resistant bacteria, which are like, they're baddies. They're You're not going to just find some hand cream somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we're going to take a short break. Then it'll be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora... Ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again, 
Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. Sam Buck totals. Sari has nothing. Sam has nothing. And Hank and Stefan are tied with two. Gimme. But we can't make any more points, so I guess we're not going to win, mm. Stefan. We are at best going to tie. Now it is time for the fact off. Two panelists have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow our minds. We each have a Sam Buck to award to the fact that we like the most. And to decide who is going to go first... I have a trivia question for you both. A blue hole is a large marine cavern or sinkhole. The deepest blue hole in the world is in the South China Sea, and it is named the Dragon Hole. Aww. How deep is it? I think I unintentionally know this because of the answer to the Ask the Science Couch question. Oh, you like look this Ooh. up. Sam, do you want to go first or second? No. I want to go second, please. <laughs> Sneak. My guess is 300 meters. I think. Wow. My guess is 301 meters. (laughs) Perfect. Oh my God. (laughs) The hole is 300.89 meters. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah, are you checking your, are you checking your blanket for for spiders? Does it stay up all the time? I'm worried about it. It does stay up all the time. I found a spider today, which is why I was a couple minutes late because I was in in my headphones. Uh, Oh oh, no. no. Worst place. (sighs) Okay. Well, be careful. Thanks. That's all. Um, you go, and also you go first, please. <laughs> so European red wood ants look and act like pretty average ants. They form colonies with a queen and workers in a caste system, and forage for food and defend themselves from rival colonies, like classic ant things. Mm-hmm. But there is one colony of about a million of these ants that completely defies this model, and it's the only one in the world like this that we know of. In Tempelwo, Poland. There is an abandoned underground nuclear weapons bunker that was built by the Soviet military in the Cold War. And so trees are growing over top of this bunker as camouflage and there's soil and a whole forest ecosystem that's going, including a massive colony of these wood ants. And the thing is, there's a ventilation pipe that rusted away and left a gaping hole into the bunker. So worker ants regularly fall through the hole and can't escape back out. And so all these fallen worker ants have basically banded together and formed Ant City down there. But it's very, very (laughs) weird because it's freezing cold, 10 degrees Celsius to below zero. There's barely any food besides maybe some stuff that grows on bat poop. But that's not nearly enough, so researchers aren't sure where they're getting any nutrition. 
And when researchers inspected the mound in July 2015, there were no queens, no males, and no signs of any sort of larva. So it's just like a million female workers that can't reproduce and are working to maintain their very sad nest as best as possible. I don't understand. They shuffled dirt around and they fixed whatever the researchers broke when they went down there. But tidying up is mostly making sure that entrances are clear and moving dead bodies out of the way. And so there are centimeters thick piles of dead ants down there. They estimated about two million dead ones and one million alive ones. What are they eating? Do they eat freshly dead ants? Is that a thing ants do? There are like small mites and things that might be eating the dead Uh, ants that the ants uh, might be eating. But nothing that the researchers found down there seemed like a significant enough food source. So we don't know if they just like keep living as long as they can without eating and then die eventually. Um, But the only way this colony survives is from ants falling from that hole above. (laughs) Uh, So, like, the magic ant hole gives them more people, and they will just keep on living in this extreme environment because they don't know any other way to be. Can ants climb walls? (laughs) They can climb walls, and there are pictures of them climbing partway up the walls, but I think the way the bunker is constructed and the way this ventilation shaft has rusted, it's not, like, a clear, easy thing to crawl up. I think it's, like... Um flat concrete walls that they can climb about halfway up and then they'd have to get onto the ceiling and then they'd have to climb over a ridge and up somebody needs to help them those researchers should have left them a stick or something (laughs) i mean sari i'm looking at a picture and it looks like the researchers left them a stick the wooden boardwalk led the trapped insects to (gasps) safety they when researchers returned in 2017 they found that most of the ants had taken advantage of the new escape route (gasps) Sari, you didn't have you didn't have the whole story. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> not. I thought I had the whole story by reading their paper, but wow. I didn't get their update. They violated the prime directive. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined this most special of ant holes. Yeah. I can't believe I missed this part of the story as I was researching it. I thought I really got all the details, but this is an important one. <laughs> that they're not there. <laughs> That's so wild uh, to me. They just like integrated back to society and then they got they went back to the nest where no one recognizes them and they're like, so I was stuck in this hole just like <laughs> that way. And there's a stick. Look, if there's it, you could we can go back down. We can get it's no big deal now. Let's go back down and see the million dead ants that are in this nuclear bunker hole. Mm-hmm. All right. Wow. Sam, what do you got for us? Swimming. Is a great and fun activity. Everybody likes to splash around in a pool or a lake on a hot day. But humans have a lot of holes all over them, and uh, any water or too much water in any of those holes can be really unpleasant, and none more so than the nose hole. So considering that it really sucks to get a bunch of water up your nose, uh, and probably it sucks to lots of other mammals besides just people, you might think that smelling underwater is not something that's possible. And up until pretty recently, researchers would agree with you. In fact, even most whales and dolphins don't have olfactory bulbs at all. They've just evolved away. Uh, And those that do have them only smell when they're above water. So underwater mammal sniffing was basically written off as impossible until 2006 when Dr. Kenneth Catania, a biologist who studied star-nosed moles, finally got to the bottom of a question that had been bothering him since the 80s. Star-nosed moles are little moles that live in marshy areas and swamps and ponds and stuff in northeastern North America, and they have really gross, disturbing tentacle noses like noses with stars basically growing off either side of them. And they spend 
a lot of their time swimming around in ponds, eating aquatic worms and bugs. So Dr. Catania was looking at these moles in a zoo, I think, and noticed that when they were swimming, they were losing lots of air bubbles out their noses, like way more than they should be for a creature that's trying to hold its breath for a long time. Okay. So he just looked at them, I guess, in the 80s, and then it took him until the <laughs> 2000s when he started studying them with high-speed cameras to see what was happening to their bubble situation while they were swimming. And he found that the moles were only blowing bubbles at certain times, like when they were near a potential food source. Uh, and he also noticed that the rate of bubble blowing was about the same as the rate of inhalations that the mole would take while they were sniffing when they weren't underwater. So then with the high-speed cameras, he saw that a lot of the bubbles would escape, but a good number of them would get caught in their nose tentacles and then get snorted back up into the (laughs) mole's nose. And there's a really funny video of it that I will put in the notes as well. So from this evidence, he figured out that the moles were using bubbles to capture scent molecules in the water around them, and they would go inside the bubble where the air was, and then they'd sniff them back up, and so that basically let them smell things while they were underwater. So he set up a little test for them where he gave them two tunnels to pick from, and one had a worm that had, like, crawled down it and one didn't, and they could basically, like, sniff along the tunnel underwater to get to the one with the worm in it and they were right 85% of the time Mm -hmm. Uh, and then he set up these like mesh things that would pop the bubbles when they stuck out their nose so they couldn't (laughs) sniff anymore Uh and after that they were only right 50% of the time so basically like they were sniffing their way over there and since then it's been found that a lot of semi-aquatic mammals like rats and shrews do the same thing And researchers are working to turn this technology into electronic noses that you can put underwater that can sniff out chemicals without actually exposing any of the electronics to water because that's a bad thing to do. So like the stink gets (laughs) into the air and like the flash of time when that bubble like gets spat out of this mole's nose Uh and then sucked back in, some, you know volatile compounds or scent compounds of some kind get into the air and they they suck it back in. Is this the reason that these moles have such bad, bad faces? I couldn't understand why rats and other things could do it and don't have bad faces, but the researchers who are working on the electronic noses found that when they put a star-shaped thing around the stuff that was shooting bubbles out, similar to their noses, that the bubbles wouldn't be able to rise up as fast and they would get stuck on stuff and then they could suck them back in. I mean, I'm sure like probably other animals can do it, just not as well. Right, and right. That, and, you know, that's how yeah. that's how the, the behavior evolved. Now, Sam, I, I love this and I have one question for yeah. you. Yeah. What are the holes? The nose holes. Nose holes. <laughs> <laughs> and they use a mesh to pop the bubbles. A mesh. Yeah, there's yeah, holes are, mesh That's too. also holes. And, and the, the, they went the, down holes that the that the worms were in. Yeah, yeah and the bubbles coming out of the nose are holes, holes in water. Yes. yes. There's so, there's many, so holes. many holes. There's really this. holes everywhere you look. I I find this tenuous. Nostrils are undeniably holes. You can yeah. fall into them if you're small enough. All right. Stefan, are you ready to vote with me? I thought I was going to be ready, but now there were so (laughs) many holes in Sam's. Sari's had holes that you don't even know about. That's yeah, true. Sari's kind of isn't a hole anymore, though, because the ants can get out of it. So. No, it's still a still hole. A hole. Well, they fall in still. Yeah, they hole. just can get out. Yeah. Maybe so. And my story had a quite literal hole because I didn't know the second half of it. <laughs> oh. That was like a plot twist as well. Um, All right, I'll count down. Three, 
two, one, Sam. Sam. Oh. Oh, wow. oh, no. Why would you Wait, give me the point? You were so mean yeah. to me. <laughs> Your fact was really good. <laughs> I never thought about smelling underwater. That was really I cool. know, and I've always but, wanted to know why those Moles have bad faces. <laughs> Sarah, your fact, of course, was also very good. And I'm, yeah. I'm very glad to know about the bunker ants who are now free. I guess I'll stick around <sighs> and do the science oh. couch and the butt fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is time. No points. <laughs> it is now time for Ask the Science Couch. We've got a listener question for our couch slash blanket fort and chair of finely honed scientific minds. This is from at watchwild185. What is the deepest naturally occurring hole that we know of and how does it compare to man-made holes? Now, Sari, I know you're going to have an actual answer to this, but from what I understand, uh, apparently the entire ocean is a hole, so it's that mm. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was looking at holes slightly smaller than the entire ocean, um, so forgive me for that. We didn't. I didn't talk to Sam and consult him on the definition of a hole before researching this question. I mostly looked into sinkholes because the dragon mm. hole is a type of sinkhole, and that's where the rock below the surface of the Earth is some sort of limestone or carbonate rock or salt beds or anything that can be dissolved by groundwater. And mm -hmm. how a lot of these ocean sinkholes formed, the dragon hole is like kind of a mystery, but many ocean sinkholes formed before the oceans covered that part of it. Just like a lot of sinkholes on land, something washed away the support structures underneath and then some event happened, whether it was seismic activity or just like there wasn't enough support physical support beneath it that the hole caved in and now in in the ocean there are many of these blue holes which are like very fairly shallow ocean and then all of a sudden a like 200 to 300 meter drop and the dragon's hole is the deepest one the deepest blue hole that we found and the deepest limestone cave that was measured and it was it seems like it was formed sort of like a sinkhole. It's called the Hronis Abyss in the Czech Republic. And it is 404 meters or hmm. 1,325 feet at least deep. So I think it was a limestone sinkhole that is now filled with water so they can dive down into it. And that's about as far as they've dived. But they said that when they measured it, the robot that they helped that helped with this effort didn't seem to have hit the bottom of the abyss, so it could be longer than that. Did the robot survive? I think so. Okay. I don't know. The story was mostly about the <laughs> human diver, cave diver, who led the expedition, less so about his robot sidekick. You just called him the human diver. So did he die? <laughs> oh, no, he did not <laughs> die. Uh, this seems like probably he did. From... <laughs> no. Okay, that's great news. I guess if we're considering the ocean... The deepest part of the ocean is the Mariana Trench mm -hmm. and the Challenger Deep, which I found a couple different statistics, but the United States Center for Coastal and Ocean Mapping in 2010 measured the depth of the Challenger Deep at 10,994 meters or 36,070 feet deep, but that is still less deep than the deepest man-made hole, which mm -hmm. is the Cola Super Deep Borehole. We made a SciShow video about it way back before <laughs> maybe everyone but Stefan was working here. Yeah. And that is nine inches in diameter, but 40,230 feet yeah. and 
12,262 meters. And so it's the deepest hole on Earth. And it took almost 20 years to reach that depth. And I think what stopped them is it got unexpectedly or, or hotter than they expected yes. towards the, the bottom of the drilling. So their mm -hmm. materials weren't equipped to continue drilling down. And my favorite thing about the Kola Super Deep Borehole is that you can still go out there and look at it. And it just is like a tiny little round cap. You might think it's like a post that was sunk into the ground to like build something on top of. But no, it is the deepest hole in the world. And it just huh. looks completely unassuming. <laughs> yeah, you can't even look into it. So you boring. cannot look into it. They apparently didn't want anybody thinking maybe that they should look <laughs> into it. It's good to just try and dig a really deep hole sometimes. You never know what you're going to find. <laughs> and, and like the cola hole is definitely a hole, right? It's just like a round, skinny thing that just, yeah. it's all down and no across. The platonic yeah. idea of a hole. If you want to ask the Science Couch, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Coleman Zephyros at Liz Cake Bug and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this episode. Final Sandbuck scores mm. a three-way tie. Whoa. You'll for, love to for see the it. lead <laughs> with two yep. points for Hank, Sam, and <laughs> Stefan, and uh, nothing for Sarah. Makes sense to so. me. <laughs> <laughs> and that means that <gasps> Stefan has pulled into the lead I'm with 39 it. points. Sari has 38, Sam has 37, and I have 36. Still pulling wow. up the back of the pack there. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's real easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from this episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us, produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who is also our editor. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our beautiful logo is by Hiroko Matsushi and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. I think we can agree that anuses, or some sort of hole that lets you get rid of waste, are really important. Uh -huh. And Nanteris scorpions mm -hmm. can drop their stingers, so slash tails, to run away from predators. But the problem is, unlike lizards, the dropped tail piece also includes their anus, uh -oh. which oh. doesn't necessarily gr grow back. They can still mate, and they can still eat, so it's like a last-ditch survival effort as they swell up with trapped poop and eventually <gasps> die from what I think is constipation problems. No. In lab experiments, they survived up to eight months without anuses. Oh, no. <laughs> so they just run around trying to have sex as much and, or as quickly as possible before their poop overflows, basically. I mean, if you got eight months. Yeah, that's true. You know, don't have to go that fast. You probably mm -hmm. have to look pretty hard to find another scorpion, though, right? Or do you know where all the other scorpions live if you're a scorpion? I don't know how it works for scorpions, but I but I do know that, like, uh, it may be more difficult to attract a, a scorpion <laughs> to... Yeah. Your to your scorpion chamber if you are half a scorpion <laughs> and you are slowly filling up with food. <laughs> <laughs>